Welcome to Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. In a world full of chaos, this is a podcast about the people making positive change in the world, using bold thinking to transform businesses and themselves. Joe Dutter is Chief Marketing Officer at Mush, a ready-to-eat startup that's been taking the US by storm. She's earned a global reputation as a transformational marketing leader with creative expertise and a deep business acumen after working across early-stage startups and multinational Fortune 500s in CPG, fashion, retail, and consultancy industries. And I first met Joe probably about eight years ago when you were working at PepsiCo. Yeah, that's right. So welcome to Bold Thinking, Joe. Um, Thank you so much. What a nice introduction. And, and, and a very impressive career, I have to say. Everyone needs to look Joe up after this. She's uh, She's had a brilliant career. So tell us a little bit more about that career and how it's led to your relatively new role at Mush. I'd say to have a, I've had a bit of um, an untraditional background as a marketer. So I actually started off in, in consulting, in strategic consulting. So definitely more of a kind of left brain start into business, lots of kind of data and analytics, problem solving. Um, And then I worked for John Lewis. So um, really fell in love with the consumer. John Lewis is all about brand loving customer obsession. So I did a bit of work on the floor in stores and on the web at the time. And then, um, as you mentioned, when we met, Julia, I spent the last sort of eight years at Pepsi, really focused on marketing, brand building, um, which was amazing, running some some brands in the US um, and in Europe and, and globally. Um, and then, as you mentioned, I've moved over um, to the startup world. So working for a challenger brand, we actually make overnight oats or ready-to-eat oats. Um, it's a very small, very fast-moving brand, um, which is amazing. We're backed by Mark Cuban. Um, we Over here, it's called Shark Tank, but we have Dragon's Den. It's a Dragon's Den sort of product. Um, and yeah, it's been amazing. Definitely, definitely a huge leap, but a very exciting one. So, I mean, one of the things we spoke about a couple of weeks ago was this whole transition between corporate world and a startup brand, certainly in terms of people, culture. Has that been quite a big shift for you? It's been huge. It's been really big. Um, yeah, it's been, I think it's a huge change, isn't it? When you go from such a big company, I was running sort of very big, uh, very big brands at Pepsi. Uh, with really big budgets to coming over and running something very small, um, very high growth, but with 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 a really small budget. Um, but what I think is really amazing about it, which I didn't really appreciate in a big company, is uh, constraints can really breed, breed creativity. So in a way, it's probably some of the most creative and most interesting work, even if you don't have a big budget. Um, so it's definitely been the most interesting uh, yeah, one of the most interesting things I've done. Well, I've known Joe for many years, and I remember what triggered me to contact Joe and say, "Can you come on the podcast?" Was I think it was an Instagram post where you got Kim Kardashian eating a <laughs> bowl of mush, and I thought, "Hmm, I know Joe is working in a startup, but this feels like it's going to. This is going big and quick." <laughs> so, tell me a little bit about mush and the and the how it's set up, the idea, and what's behind yeah. it, and how did Kim Kardashian end up? eating it for her breakfast eating it uh, eating <laughs> porridge for breakfast oh that's so so funny Julia yeah so it's really interesting there the founder actually the founder of the product kind of created it she uh she was kind of put herself through college she ended up being um being uh, a trader on Wall Street she went for Goldman Sachs she kind of got there through a lot of grit and determination um and then suddenly realized she sort of hated it didn't really love it 
Um, she was a runner and she'd been making her own oats to bring to the trading floor um, because she just needed energy. And like a lot of us, I think, found that she couldn't find anything healthy. Like even at Wall Street, she couldn't find anything convenient and healthy. And then one day just had this idea that it was almost more risky to stay in this big job than it was to kind of quit and go and do what she really wanted, which was to take this product that she thought was re- really had some some legs to it and go and like take it to more people. Um, realizing, you know, eating well can have such a huge impact on like your physical health and your mental health. Um, so she quit her job and got to work and started selling it in um, farmers markets in San Diego. And then fast forward five or six years, we're now in all Whole Foods, we're in Target, we're getting into Costco. So it's been it's been really interesting. It's hard to describe on a podcast, I'm going to show Julia, but it's like little pots of overnight soaked oats. They're completely clean. Um, they're, they're plant-based, they're vegan, no sugar added, gluten-free, all of the things, but they're just super convenient and kind of eat them on the go. And it's very much grounded in, sort of grounded in a bit of an athletic community. So CrossFit, we have a lot of runners, we have a lot of people who do Peloton. Um, we call them peak performers, but people are sort of pretty active and uh, quite professional. Mm. But yeah, it's, a, it's been a, it's a, been a, been a great uh been a great ride to your question about kim kardashian mm. um that was a bit of an accident and a bit of a hustle to mm. tell you the truth because we don't have big budgets to pay anybody mm. and that's one thing i think i've really learned um in a small company or working on a brand like this like your community is actually your brand you aren't your brand so it's been very humbling and very interesting just to really realize that that um and i think we all know this as marketers but people don't really care about brands. People care about people. Um, And so what that means for us is we have this incredible community of people who just love the product. They really, really like it and they'll talk about it. So we have sort of micro influencers who will send them product, we'll send them some swag and they'll talk a bit more about how they use it for running or or athletics or just having a busy day. Um, And then we do have a few people that we every now and again will pay a bit of money um, and they'll talk a bit more about the benefits. And then honestly, Kim Kardashian, we found somebody who knew her, who sent some product to her and uh, she's a vegan and uh, yeah, just like the product and talked a bit about it. So it was a bit, a bit of a fluke and a bit of a, mm. <laughs> um, bit of a perfect storm, but definitely wasn't, wasn't grounded in paying her anything. It's a brilliant story. So one of the things when we started this podcast was really about a lot about optimism and in this sort of whole pandemic and there was a lot of concern about where we were going to be in the future. And one of the things we really wanted to focus on is what bold thinking meant. And and actually in 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 terms of trouble actually thinking bold. And one of the last people we just spoke to, Carl, who is a retail analyst and reports into CNN, and I was like, you know, what's the worst thing can happen? He went, well, literally companies going bankrupt that is the the sharp end of this sort of stick in this culture so what does bold thinking mean to you joe and how do you how does that work with you i I love this question i've been listening to everybody's answers on your podcast (laughs) it's so fascinating i am i thought quite hard about this and i think for me bold thinking is a bit more about like the how like how do you get your team to be bold for me it's about how do you enable ever we're a 17 we're 17 people and a dog how do you get the whole team to think boldly um, and for me, there's three things. One, I call it, well, the team calls it hashtag unscared. But for me, that I would call it psychological safety. How do you make sure that everybody is able to, to, to really um, like feel comfortable when they screw up, honestly? And so we talk about hashtag unscared. We have a weekly meeting on a Friday afternoon and we sort of thank each other for things that have gone right. But if things have gone wrong, we are f- 
fully open to tell people about it and then what we've done about it. Um, I think the second is thinking about failure. It's very similar, but thinking about failure as data acquisition. So again, just encouraging the team, you know, things screw up. Um, they're always going to screw up. You're going to fail forward so much in a startup. We recently, just as a funny anecdote, I got a call from the ops team saying we put so much coffee in our, we have like a coffee mush oats. We've got five times the amount of coffee in it. And the team were like, brilliant, we can market that. We can go <laughs> start like buzzed up <laughs> oats to people. So I think it's always like see, data, see failure as data acquisition and then see opportunity and things when you screw up. And then the last one that I think is so interesting about bold thinking, um, which was really humbling for me, is like unlearning. And again, in the team, we talk about the beginner's mindset quite a lot, like first principles thinking. So in a startup, it's really easy for you to come in and just say, hey, I, I, I did this in a big company. Let's just replicate it. And that's an incredible way to utterly screw up your company and lose a lot of money <laughs> and potentially get fired, <laughs> which I almost did in my first few weeks. But um, I think it's this idea that um, it's actually a Zen Buddhist principle called Shoshin. And it's this idea that in a beginner's mind, there are many possibilities but in the experts, there are none. And I've definitely seen that in a startup. It's this idea that if you've done something, you know, many times over, you might come into a small company and, and try and replicate it. And I, I almost, the analog I think about is like people trying to run into a wall. Mm. You just see people run and run and run at it. And what you really need is the person who steps back and figures out how can you actually walk around the wall? What is the way around it? So I think, again, having a kind of beginner's mindset um, is a really big way to having bold thinking because that's how you're really going to disrupt and think about something differently. So I think it's that. I think it's psychological safety. It's like being really comfortable with failing um, and then just seeing things like from first principles. No, I love that. And I think that whole sort of like beginner's mindset. I remember reading a book by Douglas Adams and and they always said, mm. how do you come up with some new ideas and some new way of, of thinking about things? And he said, just ask a five or six year old because they're absolutely like not tainted <laughs> not tainted by anything and it's a world of possibilities sort of enters into Thank everything you. so I, I love that sort of entrepreneurial bold thinking so what do you think Joe has been your boldest idea and how and how did you make it happen I think honestly I think probably leaving a really big you know a big corp corporate America big budget big 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 team and then joining like I mentioned a team of 17 people half of whom are under 25 <laughs> um to join a to join a, a startup, I think that was probably one of the boldest things I've done. But I actually think um, the more I think about it, it probably was the least risky thing I've I've done because I actually think staying sometimes at big companies or staying in place can be a bit riskier than 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 making a bold move. Um, but I do I do think that probably is one of the boldest things I feel like I've done. Um, we have a mantra where we actually put it underneath the cups. It's it's called like start even if you don't know how. Mm. And I think sometimes, sometimes that's what it feels like to be bold. You kind of go ahead and you do something, even if you don't know what the hell you're doing. Um, so for me, that that sometimes is what being bold feels like. No, I love it. And I think when we spoke on the phone, you talked about the volunteers at the Chicago Institute of Fashion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do. I do some volunteering. I love fashion. I've, I've done a little bit of work in it in the past as a kind of factional CMO. And I work with these incredible designers. They... Um, they almost have that kind of six-year-old mindset or have that beginner's mindset. Um, and they're so creative. They're creating just incredible things like clotheslines and um, 
just beautiful like repurposed clothing or sustainable clothing or shoes and uh yeah it's so refreshing I think sometimes to like really step out of your day-to-day I mean I work in the world of oats it's it's uh <laughs> it's super cool but it has its limits so I think it's really nice sometimes to just be able to like completely step out of that and do something um different and it is a little bit more glamorous I have to say <laughs> but there's something about being with true entrepreneurs which is um which is really invigorating. So do you think you'd ever set up your own business? I don't, I don't know. I thought about this on the call before the call. <laughs> I think for the right idea, for the right idea, I would, I would do it. I, I think um, the, the founder of, of Mush is a phenomenal woman. She, um, she has such grit and determination and hustle that I think, you know, anyone like, like you, Julia, anyone who set up a company has that incredible drive um and I think you need to really be doing it for something that's so passionate for you so I think for the right for the right reason I would but I startups are phenomenal but they are the hardest thing you will ever do they'll be the most rewarding thing but the hardest thing so I think I'd have Mm. to really think about what I was doing it for Mm. um but I'd like to think I would start my own company at some point I remember I spoke to someone that set up their own business and and they were saying the thing is every day when I wake up I'm so excited it doesn't feel like work so I suppose it's like that definition of what hard is. Because I think people always say to me, oh, it's really, really hard to set up a business. And I'm surrounded by entrepreneurs and I've met a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of entrepreneurial brands. But it's sort of like they just live it, you know. Yeah. And actually, I think sometimes you can be a little bit scared of being an entrepreneur. But actually, it's just it just becomes part of your psyche, isn't it? I think it and I think it starts to rub off. And I think the thing people keep on asking me, like, you know, should I leave my big job and my title and my driver and whatever in a big company? And I'm like, you've got you've got to know that. You've got to know that you're going to take the garbage out or you're going to take the rubbish out on a Friday afternoon. (laughs) Like it's it's uh you're going to we call it sort of, it's like, I always think about you're scaling a mountain. You know, you could take a helicopter and get to, actually you can't in startup. You can't take a helicopter to get to the summit. You have to just scale that mm. mountain every single day. So that's the hard. But I think the rewarding is you see the fruits of your labor. And like you said, that's the thing that gets you up every morning. You're like, I know that was that was our work, right? I know we double growth last month because we all work really mm. hard. So I think I agree with you. It's 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 exhilarating. It's just very tiring sometimes. <laughs> Remember I, when I set up my um, second business, I said to my husband, I said, oh, I just, I really don't know um, where to go back and raise an invoice. How do, we, how do we do that? And he said, you basically go on a computer, you type one out, you send it off and then you put it in a filing box. <laughs> just like, so yeah, so point. much of that. <laughs> It's so much of that. I was, um, I think I mentioned this at the beginning before we were recording, but in my first week at Mersh, we had this um, board, somebody had been doing a brainstorm of all the things we needed to do. And I went up close and like, I found a post-it note on the wall and it just said, figure it the F out. And I was like, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much every day at a startup. So that's pretty much a mantra for the team, but you do, you figure out how to do the invoice, figure out things you've never done before. <laughs> I love that. What do you think people want or need from brands today? You know, we spoke a lot about it's building a community as much as building a brand. But, you know, what do you think people want and need from a brand today? They need community. Like we said, they don't, people don't believe in, people don't believe in brands. They believe in people. Mm. Um, there's also this idea of mimetic behavior. I don't know if that rings a bell. This is like dreadful book that I don't recommend you read about mimetic behavior, but it basically is this idea that 
people don't know what to desire. So they have to look at other people to see what they desire, which is kind of scary. But there's this idea that actually Kim Kardashian is going to be the one to tell you what you want. So, but I think this notion of community is so powerful. And then this notion of like, um, I call it kind of emotional loyalty, which is a bit different to transactional loyalty, which is the difference between as a consumer, I want, you know, I want to get a shout out on my Peloton. I don't necessarily want a bunch of Marriott rewards. Mm. So I think brands have just got to really get, get the community they're serving, get, understand what, what they're passionate about and then help to fuel, really help to fuel that. And then, and then, no, this isn't an original thought at all, but just the idea that your mission and you're you're driven by a mission and trying to do something bigger than just sell a product. Um, And we definitely see that, right? We're really embedded with a CrossFit community. I'm going to spend the weekend handing out merch to people at the Chicago Marathon. Um, I think if you can really tap into what it is you're helping somebody to do, um, you know, whether that's Palatin really helping people to to get fit, if it's Mush, which is really helping people to unleash their potential, um, you know, Glossier helping people to feel, um, you know, more na- natural beauty. I think I think that's just what's so important mm. um, right now. I think it's massive. I've got like a bit of a side question to ask you. What happens if PepsiCo came in and bought you? <laughs> it'd be quite it'd be quite funny <laughs> being on both sides I mean I think I think it would be interesting I um I think it would be really interesting and I do think there could be huge opportunity I think that's where the opportunity lies you know we're such a small kind of cult-like brand but we don't have the ability to distribute and we do want to get in everybody's hands we don't want to be a very small kind of like expensive product we want to be available to everybody so everybody can have a great breakfast so I think there's quite a lot of value to if a big company did want to have a look at this I think we'd be quite well positioned but I think that the the trick with everything is to make sure you don't lose the integrity of the brand and the and the purpose and and the love of the brand um, with scale. No, it's interesting. That's a great question. No, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry I threw that into Joe. That wasn't on the list, but I had to do it. I had to sneak it in because <laughs> well, it, it got my mind thinking because we actually interviewed a big brand um, a few weeks ago for something not not podcast related. And they were working out whether to buy a really big company, you know, relatively big company, but a startup, if you like, compared to them, or they're going to do it themselves. And I said, but why didn't you do it themselves? And they went, you know, being an entrepreneur and setting up that business yeah. from scratch and building that momentum and it's been a lot easier just to have, have gone in and bought them because you yeah. need that passion, that possibility, that beginner's mindset to really get it going and get the wing beneath the sails. And then we were just happy to sweep in where there were 61 stores and not have to do that sort of like that groundwork. So it just sort of stuck in my head. I thought when I speak to Jo, I'm going to have to say to her. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I remember... I remember literally having that conversation at Pepsi and us incubating small brands, but you're right. They're just, the models are set up so differently, but I do think at the core of it, the mindset is so different. So the opportunity cost of somebody going and spending two days handing out products at the marathon, it just isn't in the mindset of a big company. But for me, I, I'm going because I love the community, but I'm also doing research. I'm figuring out how to position the brand. I'm figuring out how we talk about it. This for me is like the equivalent of half a million dollars in consumer research yeah. just by standing out handing product to the marathon one of the guys we had on a podcast who used to work at waitrose he had the before that he used to work at sainsbury's as a buyer and one of the three guys from innocence came in to see him 
in their early, early days. And they said, uh, we just come to see you. So we're on your radar, but we're not interested in buying you. We just want everybody to know we're here in the world. And they were just so like, he said, they were in their 20s and they'd just been down to Glastonbury and said, shall we give up our jobs or not? And he just said, just hats yeah. off, hats off to them. He said, they just yeah. said, we're going to come and meet you as a buyer at Sainsbury's. Just so that yeah. you're, when they were good to go, they were good to go. Yeah, it's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, innocent. The story is incredible. Mm. So how optimistic are you at the moment? Obviously, we've been through this global pandemic and some places in the world are fully open, like the UK, I'm grateful to say, but there's still mm. parts of parts of the world which is st- still very much part of this. And how optimistic are you at the moment? Yeah, I feel, I guess I feel optimistic and also feel a bit responsible, if that makes sense. I feel like we have a role to to help, to support, to just I guess kind of step back and be aware of all the unintended consequences I think you know there's obviously been the pandemic but then there's going to be I think quite a big knock-on effect from the pandemic um so I think that's something that I'm really conscious of we we've been doing a bit of work talking about kind of mental health and how physical and mental health are so well connected um so I think yes I'm 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 very optimistic as a brand I think particularly where we are we're just seeing growth we're so focused which is nice because we're kind of distracted from a lot of what's happening. But I think we also want to be really aware of the huge impacts that and and, and so much that people are going mm. are going through. Mm. We were talking earlier about with our last guest about he works with a lot of big brands and last year they just had to keep working through it. A lot of businesses were really sort of like having to pivot incredibly quickly. So this year we, there was a bit of a feeling of fatigue and people having to take two or three weeks off just to sort of like come come back to the table, right. refreshed within that culture. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. Um, and I feel really privileged in a way because I don't think we've had the fatigue in the team, partly because we kind of just kept going, we're so focused. Um, we were also sort of in person, I mean, getting tested, but we've also been working very closely together. Um, I think just we've had so much going on that we have been a little bit kind of immune to it. But I definitely have a lot of friends who I, I, I think have got a level of burnout, right? It's very real. If you've spent the last 18 months on Zoom calls um, all day, every day, we've been a little bit kind of you know, in it and running around and slinging oats. So I've been a little bit distracted from it. But yeah, I, I do think that's very, it's very true. And I with this huge um, shift of people really considering what, what they want to do and, and looking for more purpose, I think has been really interesting as well. Mm. Um, especially in the war for talent, it's been super interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember uh, a friend of mine is really senior in the, one of the top, um, the top four consultancies. And obviously, with this mm-hmm. sort of forty percent global workforce looking at leaving, they were they were they were incredibly worried about retention of of people. Mm. I mean, is that is that a big focus that mush and the retention of people and culture? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think the some of the tenants I talked about of, of the culture. I think making sure that continues, uh, we don't lose that as we grow because we're scaling the team as big as the business, and so making sure we still keep what's so. I think so kind of unique about the culture, I think is really, really important. I think it's such a purpose-driven business. We really, you know, want to bring healthier foods um, to everybody to help people to kind of, to, to be, think and feel and do better. Um, and I think people are really kind of behind that, really behind the product, really behind the kind of the mission of the brand. So I think that that is really, really important. Um, and I think that really, that that's, um, attracts a certain kind of person 
Um, and I think also just startups in general do attract a certain kind of person because <laughs> you're doing it for a very different reason, I think. Um, so I, it, I, I do think it's interesting. I think it's also interesting looking at the people looking to move out of big companies and trying to understand if they're kind of running from something or running to something. Um, and I think, you know, if you have, I think there's a time you need it, that 40% of people need to kind of step back and like just take a beat before they figure out what they want to do next. Um, Cause burnout is real and you have to like take some time to recover from it before you go to the next thing. But yeah, it's a, it's a phenomenal um Time, I think. So with brands thriving, for a brand to thrive in the future, what advice would you give from your vast experience in the CMO world? <laughs> I think my, my advice to marketers, like I get often asked, you know, you come from something really big, big budgets and you've gone something really small and what have you learned? And I, I do think the first one is your community is your brand. So figure out who your community is and just get really, really close with them and let them tell the story of your brand. You're there to kind of facilitate that um, as much as you can to find your to find your brand lovers, um, to talk to them, to have them tell your story. Um, I think the second one that I've really learned is this idea of you've got to test before you invest. So again, you know, I think of big brands, you go really, really big, really quickly, whether that's innovation or it's your kind of big 30 second TV campaign or it's your packaging, you kind of do it all really, really in a big way. And in a startup, we talk quite a bit about this idea of like, if you're a chef or if you're baking a cake, you would never start with a wedding cake. You'd start with a little cupcake or many cupcakes and you'd make a kind of birthday cake and then you go on and make a, like a, a big wedding cake. So that's how we think about everything, essentially. So, you know, whether that be, um, you know, like I mentioned, going to the marathon, figuring out your positioning and your uh, how you're going to talk to people and then kind of testing it through digital ads and then maybe creating a campaign, like starting very small and building up. Um, I, I think that's incredibly important. Um, and I, something that I think is so relevant for a big company, and I wish I'd kind of known that that was available or even silly things like for our part, we just did a big packaging redesign and it was basically myself and a 22-year-old graphic designer going to FedEx, picking things onto a cup and running over to Whole Foods and putting it on the shelf and seeing if it worked. Mm. So I think getting really close to your consumer is really important. And then I think the other thing is um, for, for brands is just really standing out. Like I think it's so important to be so distinct. And you talk about that so much as a brand marketer, you know, you talk about salience and brand distinction. Um, but just, I think with so much noise, with so much happening, like it's as much as your brand can stand out and be distinctive, whether that's visually, verbally, um, I think is is so important. And it is quite difficult, isn't it? Because sometimes you can be a brand within a brand, like, I don't know, a brand with on Amazon or eBay, and then, you know, you sort of lose that that voice a little bit, can't you? Right, exactly, exactly. But as much as you can really push for it, I am, I'm a huge believer in Byron Sharp, mm. how brands grow. And he talks about linking mental and physical availability and this idea that your mental availability and kind of brand links has to be so, so strong. Um, and I... I when you're a small brand it's so evident because you have to shout because you're so tiny but I think even for big brands just continuing to make sure you really really do stand out and you're really distinct mm. um yeah even if you are on Amazon mm. I think it's so important mm. I love that I just want to say thank you today Joe, for joining us and thank you everyone for listening to Bold Thinking Entrepreneurial Stories Honestly Told and Joe certainly told a very entrepreneurial story about Mush today if this episode has got you thinking, share your comments on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram, or you can contact us at hello at thehonestbrand.com. 
Join me next time to hear from someone else who's making a positive change in the world. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much. 